Catch Up with Cat. Hello and welcome to Catch Up with Cat with me, Cat Harvey. This is a little show hoping to make a big difference with some fun chat, but helpful advice along the way. Joining me this morning for a wee catch up is award-winning chef from Grazing in Edinburgh. It is Mark Greenaway. Good morning, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Kat. How are you? Oh, I'm tip-top. Living the dream. Broadcasting from a cupboard. What else would I rather be doing? But um, having a great time, actually, just talking to all these lovely people like yourself. What have you been up to, though? Obviously, the restaurant's been closed. Are you desperate to get back to work? Do you know, it's so weird. It's... I'm living life at the moment on Zoom, like literally back to back all day, because I'm still doing a little bit of consultancy work for some brands in London and okay. the Middle East. And it's just weird. It's it's like it's not real work because I'm sitting on the couch, luckily enough to be getting paid, but I'm sitting on the couch working and, and normally I'm in a kitchen. It feels like a bit of a con, if I'm honest, because I'm not really working. But you are in your own wee way. You absolutely are. but. Chefs in particular and folk that work in kitchens, you're used to such a frenetic pace of life, aren't you? It's always full on in a kitchen. Has this been good for you, having a wee break, do you think? Um, yeah, <laughs> although I probably shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's, it's the longest time off I've ever had in my career. It's, it's just, it's, it's surreal. It's like a bad movie that you just want to fast forward. Yeah. Or you're wondering, when's the hero coming in? Like, what's... How is it going to end? Hopefully we can get you back in the kitchen as soon as possible. I know everybody's dying to get out for a lovely meal. That's the one thing most people have been saying they're missing the most, you know, just going out with their friends and family and having a good dinner. See, when you're at home, do you cook yourself the gastronomic delights that you put in your restaurant or do you just have, like, pot noodles and munchy boxes and things? Is it a mix of both? Absolutely not. What do I cook at home? So I'm I'm a huge believer in like one pot wonders. Like the okay. less washing up I can do, the better. Just because I'm used to having kitchen porters and you know people running about after me, obviously at home. And you don't have the equipment at home either. Like you don't have 15 wooden spoons, 10 frying pans, eight pots. I mean, I've got two wooden spoons. One is absolutely massive. I've no idea why I've got it. It was probably in the apartment <laughs> when I moved in. And then the other one's tiny. Like something Barbie would use, so it's, you know I'm I'm the same as everybody else at home. It, it's I just don't have the equipment um, that that you've got in a restaurant. So, but I always we always cook at home. Um, but yeah, I'm a big believer in sort of you know even when I have a roast chicken, it's you know the chicken goes in for 20 minutes, then the potatoes go in the same tray, the the veg, the whole carrots we wash them and peel them, they go straight in half an onion goes on and we just roast them just because it's easy rather than having you know three different vegetables cooked three different ways just chuck them all on the same trays of chicken chuck them in and let the juices infuse i yeah, know i now want a roast actually, chicken dinner mark you actually you actually get a better product but it just saves so much washing up <laughs> boiling your carrots and all this nonsense so yeah it's i'm a big believer in one pot wonders or one tray wonders if you like so how important is it then that we're eating the right foods when we're trying to keep ourselves as healthy as possible? I mean, I think it's hugely important because you can sort of get stuck in a rut and thinking, well, it's quick and it's easy, so I'll just, I'll open that packet. Um, and it's kind of the worst thing you can do because you just don't know what's in that packet. Um, I mean, I, I was reading a packet in the supermarket the other day. It was a, a lentil 
mix. And it looked quite good. But you can leave it in your cupboard for three months. And you're thinking, well, what kind of goodness is in that? Like, there can't be any. If you can leave cooked lentils in a cupboard for three months, there has to be close to zero nutrition. Okay, so you've got a simple recipe for us, Mark, that's going to be packed full of ingredients and stuff that is good for us. What have you come up with that is uh, easy enough for people like me to be able to create at home? <laughs> right, it's, it's a really simple vegetable dish, so it can be treated as either a side dish or a dish on its own, I suppose. Um, Pan-roasted broccoli, um, finished just with a little bit of garlic, ginger, and then just at the table in a separate container or drizzled over the top, some crushed almonds and a yogurt dressing. And that's, well, it's got so many things in it that's good for you. it's, It's crazy and broccoli goes really well with so many different things and you can cook it in so many different ways. Um, but it's really important to keep the sort of the vitamins and the minerals that are in it, which means you don't really want to overcook it. So that's why I've suggested sort of pan frying it. So if you were to cut it in half and then almost wedge it as if you were wedging a lemon mm-hmm. uh, or wedging a potato and pan fry it that way, get some really nice colour on it. Um, and it's full of sort of vitamin A, C, E, which is which is great nutrients to be eaten. Um, and it sort of fights off... Um, or helps fight off, you know, any sort of colds and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and just don't overcook it. I mean, the last thing you want to do is boil it for 10 minutes and it's just the nutrients are in the water. We pan fry it. How long do we pan fry it for? Probably about two or three minutes on each side on quite a hot heat just so it gets some good colour on it. Okay. Um, that's really quick. So it's a simple, easy dish to do. And then what are we firing on top of it? So just at the end, you want to... Um, either grate your ginger and your garlic um, or finely dice it if you're posh but I would just grate it because it's just just to get it in there um, give that sort of one or two minutes just toss it through um, and again you know garlic's great for the immune system ginger is amazing for the immune system it can reduce inflammatory illnesses so if you've got a cold or, or anything like that it can reduce all that sort of stuff and just put in as much or as little as you dare um, and then the yogurt is a great source of vitamin D. Um, as long as you get um, the sort of unsweetened Greek yogurt, don't be putting raspberry yogurt on it. It's not going to work. <laughs> um, and I don't care if it's all you've got. Just do it without it. Um, uh, I, I don't want any pictures from you, Kat, on Twitter and Instagram. Go, Mark, what, what's wrong with this? Um, it's the only so yeah, one I the, had the, left. I've got a banana yogurt yeah. and my broccoli. <laughs> Yeah, just don't use it. Do it <laughs> so Greek it. yogurt, right? Greek yogurt, I've got that, yep. <laughs> um, and then almonds are a great source of, obviously, all the, 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 the fatty acids are good for you and the vitamin C and vitamin E. So it's, it's you know, it's it's got so many good things in the one dish. Um, and if you don't have one of the things, just leave it out. There's, there's enough goodness in the rest of the ingredients. Um, you know, so don't do it just because you don't have the yogurt. You know, just yeah. roast the almonds, crush them down, sprinkle them over the top. It goes so well. It gives a nice crunch and a nice texture. There's really no reason why you can't just miss out one of the ingredients. It's, it works perfectly well, you know, with everything or with just one. Well, I am a way to pan fry a broccoli for the first time in my life. Every day is a school day with you, Mark. Thank you so much. Oh, wild. Put a <laughs> egg on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Am I? Oh, well, if I can per perfect the swirly bit with the vinegar and all that kind of fancy stuff. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. That's Mark Greenaway from Grazing in Edinburgh, an absolute star, a brilliant chef. And listen, we can all do it. Let's pan fry broccoli. Catch up with Kat. We're in this Don't together. Don't forget you can drop me a voice note about who you'd like to thank. Just go to the website for details. Also, if you need any help or advice right now about stress, fitness or sleep, check out clearyourhead.scot. Catch up with Kat. Hello and welcome to Catch Up With Cat with me, Cat Harvey. Thanks for joining me once again for the wee show with big ideas about hopefully trying to help. I'm joined this afternoon for a wee catch up with Christina McKelvey, MSP, who is the Minister for Older People and Equalities as well. Hello, Christina. How are you getting on? I'm great. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope you're all well. Now, I have heard a little bird tell me that somebody once described you as the Minister for Kindness. Is that true? Yes, it was an event I was at with Carnegie Trust last year. We were talking about kindness, yeah. <laughs> I think that's quite good. I think we should tell the First Minister we should have a Minister for Kindness. Absolutely. We need to spread some joy. That's a great title. I would definitely stick with that one. OK, today we're going to be talking about um, social isolation and loneliness. Now, we know that that's a real problem in normal times, but how has this been made worse by the situation that we all find ourselves in at the moment? So one, one of the... I suppose good things in, in all of this is we had already identified social isolation and loneliness as a real public health issue. So we'd already started to take some steps. You know, we published our strategy in 2018. We set up a national implementation group who are all the stakeholders I wanted. The, the lovely strategy that we had to be driven by real people. So that's why we have some of the organisations and key people in there driving this. So when it came to uh, coming into lockdown, my main concern was like, how do we ensure that we support people? Because many more people who have ne maybe never experienced social isolation or loneliness would experience it now. Christina, my dad is 85 and he phones me every day with an update on who has phoned him because that's his, that's his, his social lifeline at the moment is just people phoning for a chat. And I get, oh, oh, I mean, it's like a soap opera, I'll not lie, the people that have phoned him and what's going on and everything. But it's so important for us to reach out right now, isn't it? Well, we called our strategy a Connected Scotland, which which we called it that because we knew that we needed to connect up Scotland, but we knew there was already some really good connections there. And what we had to do was connect them together a bit better, but also then to connect them with people like your dad, like other people, because for some people it's, it's, it's their age, you know, that, that creates circumstances. Maybe a life-limiting condition, a long-term, you know, condition, acquiring a disability. You know, some of the data that we're getting is quite interesting about young people and about young people just uh, being susceptible to loneliness as anybody else, but young mothers and young women being some of the, the most affected in those categories. So you can see where, you know, you pull out some of those ideas, you think, because young people are really digital connected that they would be lonely. And actually for some of them, that, that creates uh, more loneliness. So it's, it's, not, it's not straightforward and it's a bit complicated, but those connections and how do we join people up and how do we make sure that people have the resources to do that. One of the lovely things that came out of the consultation that we did, which is one of the things that we've lost in the COVID uh, coronavirus it's, um, time scale that we're being in right now was that lots of people ask for situatories. You now, Kat, you'll know what a situatory is. It's the best fun ever. You just sit out and chat. <laughs> people have not been able to do that. Sit out and chat. So what's been interesting is some of the people, you know, that we've been working with, organisations, disability organisations, older people's organisations, have started to use technology 
to do some of the sit-outeries or the sit-inneries as we're calling them now because you're sitting in your house using Zoom using <laughs> you know uh, FaceTime and whatever cup of tea a bit of cake and a bit of your chat and they've been doing some of that and that's been a real lifeline like for lots of people uh, for people who currently you know experience social isolation illness but people who have been plunged into that because you know they're furloughed and they're off their work they're separated from their family you know like me I've not spent any time with my man for seven weeks because the two years live in different houses <laughs> <laughs> now then, I, I, I need to ask, it would it would be wrong of me not to ask, even though it's a bit nosy, how's that working out? Is he liking the piece, Christina, or is he missing you terribly? No, the two is are missing each other terribly. Good, <laughs> so that's the right you. answer. <laughs> my my partner's an MSP as well, and he'll be in the chamber today, so I'll get a wave across the chamber, that's like a oh, day. Oh, that's like <laughs> distant love, oh my goodness, it's like a, it's like a film. <laughs> Oh, wait till that moment you get reconnected. But you can see how, you know, for people, for some people, they've never had to experience, you know, that separation, that disconnectedness, how it's really important to use lots of the innovations and interesting things we've got right now. That's why your show, just being able to have a chat, you know, and how important a chat is and how, you know, taking those first steps. For some people, it is that first step over the threshold that's the most difficult. In this situation, in the COVID era, as we'll call it, the first step into maybe a digital step forward is is some of the most difficult as well so we've been working with lots of organizations to look at digital measures that we can do this because lots of people are they don't have broadband they don't have access to an iphone or an ipad you know so we've invested quite a bit of money to make sure that infrastructure is in place we've tested it with some of the the pilots that we've run with the the gda and and glasgow disability alliance and we've now come back and and some of that's been shared now and we've called that a connected scotland We've had so many lovely stories on this wee show about people in their communities raising their game and just getting involved. We've had street bingo. We've had people that are physical trainers, you know, taking out into the middle of the street and getting their whole street involved and stuff like that. So even though it has been a really stressful time, there are little bits of goodness that are really coming out of this, isn't there? I did laugh out loud when I seen the bunch of dads, the bunch of daddies who went out and did YMCA. <laughs> in their front of the street, <laughs> all dressed characters from um, uh, that era, and I thought, no. <laughs> They've been loving that. Absolutely. I think I think any escape makes people happy, doesn't it? It's, it's just having that little bit of fun. Um, and, and what can we all do then? What, what's your recommendation? I mean, you mentioned there the, the volunteering. Is it just as simple as keeping your eye open to your neighbour next door, making sure they've got a wee pint of milk? maybe dropping them off a wee cake every now and again to keep people happy. Is that the best way to go about it? It's just starting small with little acts of kindness? Uh, absolutely. And sometimes it's that really simple, you know, human connection that can absolutely be a lifesaver. We know about the physiological damage that social isolation and loneliness does. causes all sorts of issues with your, 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 your health and well-being. So actually just those wee positive steps, you know, doing that sort of a you know, community bingo or a dance or somebody that's singing and you join in or whatever, that wee tiny human connection could be a lifesaver for somebody. I think just even even that, what what, what you're doing, this this show, you know, the, the fact that, you know, you're having people want to talk about 
important stuff. I mean, I'm a government minister, so I really want to get the message across that the government's doing as much as we can here. But I also want to try and reassure people to make those connections, to encourage people to get involved in just being, you know, part of their community in whatever way that makes them happy. Because the impact of being a volunteer on your own mental health and well-being is really positive. And then the impact that you have is really, really positive as well. There's a great project in Fife who was doing befriending, and that's another uh, part of the work that, that, that we've been we've been doing a lot uh, of focus on right now is both befriending services and intergenerational work. So when you get older people and younger people together, you just see magic. It's absolutely amazing. And if you want to that's amazing. follow up a later date, you know, we'd be friending Yes, do you know what? You're not actually going to believe how you're not going to believe how slick this show is, Christina. I have them in my um, diary for next week. I am going to be yeah. speaking to the five befrienders because I've heard so many good things about the work that they're doing as well. So oh. it, it all falls into place eventually. It, it See, so- you are you, <laughs> you are the minister of kindness after all. <laughs> and it's great, but we, I mean, I we, we fund we fund uh, befriending networks and we're funding a bit more to do more of what they're doing, doing all of those connections. But then we've got uh, work out generations working together, who are an intergenerational organisation in Scotland. Who, as I said, that amazing work. So say you've got an older person who's never used an iPad, but you've got a 15, 16, 17 year old or a student or something who's who's looking to be involved in the local community. You link them up. Yeah. You know, that student gets the benefit of the wisdom of that older person and all of their life decisions. And for some of them, you know, maybe a positive role model for some people that's maybe not had that. And that older person gets an access into the world of the younger person. You know, right? Show me how to use this blinking iPad. You know, how do I how do I make it? How do I make a Zoom call? You know, and and that type of stuff is just absolutely wonderful. Now, some of that physical connection can't be done right now, so they've looked at other ways at how to be maintain that. And when you speak to the five befrienders next week, you'll see how they've managed to do that with their their, their call-in service and their catch-up service and and making sure that people are linked to their local communities. And it's that, it's that's, that's the key, is connecting with what's going on on your doorstep. Because for some people, there's lots of things, or there's lots of things going on in people's doorsteps, but the biggest step for them to take is to take that first step over the threshold. Oh, Christina, do you know what? Thank you so much for coming on and sharing a little bit of joy and sunshine there and some really lovely advice as well. I will definitely be catching up with the Five Befrienders next week. So that is Christina McKelvey, MSP and Minister for Older People and Equalities. Thank you for joining me for a catch-up. Catch-up with Cat. We're in this together. Don't forget, if you need any tips on coping with stress or getting to sleep or even fitness advice or helping with dealing with the kids, check out clearyourhead.scot. Catch up with Kat. Joining me once again this evening is clinical psychiatrist Dr John Mitchell, who's become my weekly sleep guru. Thank you, John, for coming back to help us out. My pleasure, Kat. It's nice to speak to you again. Oh, Now, a few weeks ago, you made a lot of people very, very relieved when you were mentioning that people were struggling with their sleep. Is it still the same at the moment? Absolutely, yes. And I suppose we're all now starting to think about coming out of lockdown eventually. And, you know, people are going to be anxious about that too. So tonight we're going to focus on routine and how to manage your sleep problems if you do have problems. So, John, basically, Mm -hmm. how can we optimise our sleep pattern? Is that something that we can control or, or at least help ourselves with? 
Yes, I, I, I think as I, I said previously, when when you were kind enough to to have me on, um, having regular hours exercising during day, you know, not stimulating your brain before bedtime with caffeine or with uh, alcohol or um, you know, or with with uh, you know screen time, um, all of these things uh, will make us sleep better. So many people tell us that, and it, take your phone out the bedroom. But there's so many people that are so guilty of it, it's difficult to do. Once you get into the pattern of it, it becomes easier, though. That That's me about, I think it's about six or seven weeks since I've had my phone in my bedroom. And I told you before, John, I do notice the difference. Yeah. It turns out you, you know what you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> Good. So, <laughs> so, see, anxiety and depression. A lot of people do struggle with anxiety and depression. Do they have different effects on sleep? They do. It's really interesting. And you see this as a psychiatrist. People with uh, anxiety disorders have what we call terminal insomnia. So what happens is when you go to bed at night and you, you turn off the light and you're not... You're not um, you know, listening to music or, or being uh, distracted. People people lie in bed worrying and worrying and worrying, and that stops them getting to sleep. Um, but it's, it's kind of different in depression. People who are, who are depressed often feel really exhausted, and they'll, they'll often say that they'll fall asleep quite easily. And what happens is, despite them needing their sleep, they wake up really early in the morning, like four in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, and can't get back to sleep again. Um, and, and they tell you that they wake up um, early hours of the morning and they lie there feeling, you know, dreadful but unable to sleep. So, so it's interesting how, um, you know, those two conditions actually have different effects on sleep. And it's so debilitating, isn't it, though, when your body is just not getting enough shut-eye, it can really, really wipe you out. Yes, yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, and it just, it, it, it kind of ruins the rest of your day, doesn't it? You feel physically exhausted. You know, your mood dips and um, you, you know you're just not kind of functioning as well as you could do. So what can we do if we can't switch our heads off at bedtime? You know that way when you go to bed and you've tucked yourself up and you've done everything right, your phone's not near you, but there's that constant whirring of thoughts and worries and ideas. You basically just can't turn your head off. What can we do about that? Well, I mean, the thing is that people have got real worries to worry about. Um, and, you know, you can't just say all oh, of this is, uh, you know, isn't true and you just should stop thinking about it. But a, a tip that I've used with people um, is to say, look, you, you know, you're not going to be able to not worry about things. These things are real and you're going to do that. But mm-hmm. you've got to somehow or other um, put that aside at some point. And a, and a good trick is actually to um, set aside time in your day and say, right, I'm going to spend 45 minutes or an hour or half an hour and I am just going to sit here and ruminate and worry about all of the problems that I've got and I'll write them all down and uh, and I'll, ju- I'll focus on that. And then when the alarm clock goes off, that's it for the day. And then when you start thinking these things, you have to say no. I will do that tomorrow during my worry time. I'm not going to do it just now. I'm not going to think about that just now. I will um, I will postpone it and do it at a different time. I, I think that's an absolutely brilliant idea. I always think it's easier for me to get over stuff if I see it in black and white in front of me. So even just little bullet points on a page um, and, I, and I can see what I have to deal with, it makes it a lot easier for me just to kind of comprehend the magnitude of what's going on. So that's a great idea, a worry slot. I'm going to do that, John. Thank you for that. What should you do then 
Say you just can't get to sleep and it's making you frustrated and annoyed and you're tossing and turning. Should you lie in bed and try and force it or do you think you should actually get up and just try and do something instead? It's actually quite important to get up because um, we're creatures of habit and we kind of, we're kind of trained ourselves to have certain cues that make us think about things. So you'll know that, for example, um, you know, like a, a dog will salivate, you know, if it sees food. You probably heard about Pavlov who did these experiments and actually ringing the bell made the dog salivate. Um, and in the same kind of way, we get used to thinking about our bedrooms and our beds as the places where we sleep. And that's actually quite a useful thing because that, that, that's the bell ringing for us that sets us to sleep is when we're in bed and we're in our, you know, our bedroom. So that's why when you go to a hotel, and it's not quite the same, it's, it's more difficult to get to sleep. So in order to make sure you do that, if you can't sleep, you, you do. You need to get up out of your bed and you need to really go to another room if you can. Um, and, uh, and and just, you know, accept the fact that you're not you're not going to fall asleep and stay there until you're so tired and you're, you're not, you know, you're falling over that you do then go back to your bed. But lying in bed um, for long periods awake and you know, and reaching for the for the tablet and having a look at you know Netflix in bed at three o'clock in the morning, that is just going to make things worse and worse and worse for you. So get out of bed, go to another room, and have a look at your Netflix there. That's really interesting advice as well, John. Honestly, because um, because I have on many occasions just tried to force myself, and you only end up getting angry and and a bit teary because it, you know you just want to sleep. You're so tired. And what about daytime naps then? Can they help? Are they are they good for us or should we be trying to avoid them? Well, if you're sleeping fine mm-hmm. and uh, and you like a wee nap at lunchtime, then that's <laughs> absolutely fine. If you've had the if you've had the fruit crumble and custard with your, with your lunch and you've oh, to have a yum. snooze, that's <laughs> fine. But if you're having problems with your sleep, you know, if you've got insomnia as a problem for you then don't let yourself sleep during the day because, again, you're you're just not going to sleep at night. It's just going to make it even worse for you. So force yourself to stay awake um, and uh, uh, and you'll sleep better. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts then about medication, i.e. sleeping tablets, either prescribed or of a herbal variety that we can just buy over the counter? Well, I, I mean, as a psychiatrist, you know, um, I have prescribed sleeping tablets for people, but I will do it as seldom as I possibly can because they're not a good long-term solution. They yeah. are, uh, they're addictive um, and the effect wears off. There's a thing called tolerance. And what that means is that you, if you take one tablet every day for a week, you know, at the, then that's fine. But maybe two weeks in, you, you'll need to take an, another tablet to get the same yeah. effect. So the kind of the effect wears off, and so they're no use, um, you know, in the long term. And uh, uh, as well as the addiction and the tolerance, they don't give you the quality of sleep that you normally do, because they 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 mess up the, the sort of stages of sleep that we go through during the night. You know, we, we sort of dip down and down and down into lower levels of sleep in a kind of cycle, and that all gets disturbed disturbed by these chemicals. Thank you so much. Some amazing tips there. That worry slot. It's just genius. I'm going to go and do that. I'm going to have like, I'm going to cut it down to a 10 minute worry slot so that I don't worry too much. Um, And the daytime napping, I will try and cut back on because I do love a wee 10 minutes on the couch. But thank you so much once again for joining us, Dr. John Mitchell, 
And don't forget, for more sleeping tips, check out the excellent website, clearyourhead.scot. Dr. John, thank you very much. Catch up with Kat. We're in this together. Don't forget, if you need any advice on getting to sleep, check out clearyourhead.scot. I'm back at 9.40 tomorrow morning when I'll be joined by Ian Finlay from Paths for All, explaining their new podcast and why it's so beneficial to get out walking. Catch up with Kat in association with the Scottish Government.